Coming up on Stew Does America, Dr. Drew is under attack for his comments about COVID-19. We look into what is the best way to publicly flog him to make ourselves feel better. Then author and podcast host Michael Malice returns to the program to tell us why no matter what he does, President Trump's actions will never appease a bloodthirsty media. And Glenn Beck's new book drops today. It's arguing with socialists. We'll take an inside look. The best way to get every episode of this show is to look around and click subscribe. The best way to make sure other people get their dose of smart analysis, stupid jokes, and occasionally the opposite, is to share, rate, and review. Who wouldn't be one over by reading a review that says, it's great, whatever. On YouTube, click the bell for notifications, and if you have the means, I highly recommend pulling the trigger on a Blaze TV membership. Coming out of this craziness, we're going to need conservative voices more than ever, so protect them at blazetv.com slash stew, and make sure to use the promo code stew, because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, to save 30 bucks, the biggest savings ever. It's a tough time, but remember, they delayed the WNBA season. It's not all bad news. Stew does America. You know, there's a lot of crap that goes around the internet, but one voice has emerged as the voice of sanity in these uncertain times. That, of course, is the voice of Stakeums. They tweeted, friendly reminder, in times of uncertainty and misinformation, anecdotes are not data. Good data is carefully measured and collected information based on a range of subject-dependent factors, including, but not limited to, controlled variables, meta-analysis, and randomization. You can maintain independent, critical thinking towards institutions without dipping into fringe conspiracies that get jump-started by individual anecdotes being virally spread as data. It's not easy, but it's necessary to keep any semblance of responsible online information flow. We're a frozen meat brand, posting ads inevitably made to misdirect people and generate sales. So this is peak irony. But hey, we live in a society, so uh, you know, please make informed decisions to the best of your ability and don't let anecdotes dictate your worldview. Okay, stake and bless. Well, there you go. I mean, uh, they, they laid it out for you. Why, would you ask, is a frozen board-like series of meat planks separated by paper, seemingly calling itself God, tweeting such things. Well, you have to know who to believe. And if you can't trust Stakem, who can you trust? Hmm, it's deep. And what Stakems do to your digestive tract is almost exclusively anecdotal. You should know that. But Stakem has been a pretty prescient uh, force a bunch of times, like in 2014, when they tweeted, having a great time providing some Stakems to the hardworking people in the film industry. Don't go up to Harvey Weinstein's hotel room. I, or the legendary tweet from 2005. Fix your hunger with steakums. Slice steaks before you break. And maybe fix the levees in New Orleans before they break too? Sure, I mean, you know, the sound of frozen meat resembling an index card hitting a hot frying pan is wonderful. But maybe we should have listened to the entire message of steakum this whole time. Not everyone looked as good as steakum in everyone's conversation to, uh, you know... Uh, everyone kind of had this conversation where we was decided, let's all look around. Yeah, let's do it. Let's convert to online epidemiologist. Let's just all do it together. Dr. Drew is getting hammered online after a montage of dismissive comments from over the past few months was compiled. Watch. 
Uh, it's way less virulent than the flu, so it's a reminder that you're more likely to die of influenza, so go ahead and get your flu shots. Mild, doesn't hurt anybody. That should be the headline. Way less serious than influenza. That's the headline. You know what the 2% lethality thing is you have there? Are you talking about the coronavirus? I think it's less than 2%. It's like 0.02%. It is less dangerous than influenza. Less dangerous than influenza. Um, your probability of dying of coronavirus, much higher being hit by an asteroid, I would say. The flu virus in this country is vastly more consequential, and nobody is talking about that. It's not ideal. It's suboptimal. And this allowed, of course, the Internet to unload on Dr. Drew, calling him a scam artist and a snake oil salesman. The only thing worse than pissing off the Internet is pissing off the Internet when they're all really bored in quarantine. Now, Dr. Drew is not an expert on infectious disease. He is a real doctor who is best known for his medical expertise in the area of addiction. He's not a virologist. Um, however, you know, on the scale of who you're going to trust in an ongoing epidemic, he's going to fall somewhere in between Dr. Fauci and Dr. Pepper. Um, of course, he's not as trustworthy as Stakem's. We know that, as they proved in 1986 when they tweeted, Stakem supports our scientific community. Remember, if you work at an RBMK-type nuclear site and don't want your Stakems to cook themselves, read your instructions and keep an eye on the number four reactor. Oh, so prescient. Why didn't the Soviets just listen? Well, we can't all be Stakem. We're dealing with the biggest story any of us have ever gone through, and we're going to have to have the ability to be honest with ourselves. It's going to be really easy to go back in time and find clips of people acting dismissively of this pandemic. Lots of people acted this way. And using your Google to go back and compile lists of incorrect statements might feel great, but does it actually accomplish anything? The media has been making montages of Trump's early dismissive comments. And yeah, you know, he made some. He also acted early in some circumstances as well. The media has been targeting conservative media personalities with montages of their own. And yes, they can be made, too. We can have highlighted people on the left, and we have. Uh, they're being dismissive as well, and that's the thing. It's rare to find someone who fully understood this thing any time before February and almost even March. And we shouldn't act like we're all above those nasty elites, either. YouGov released a poll in mid-March asking Americans how many people they thought would die from coronavirus in the next year. This is after the South by Southwest had been canceled. Uh, it was right when the NBA canceled their season. 87% of Americans thought it was going to be less than 10,000 dead. 55% thought it would be less than 1,000 dead. And 18% thought it would be less than 100 dead. They asked the same question two weeks later, and still 70% believed that the death toll would be less than than 10,000 for the whole year. I'll remind you, it passed 10,000 11 days after the poll was released. We've been around long enough to see a million super duper scary threats come and go. And most of them don't live up to the hype. Let's be honest about it. It's totally normal and natural to be skeptical. It's also normal and intelligent to weigh the effects of how damaging this cure is. All you can do is analyze the information you have to the best of your ability. That's the lesson I learned from the fine people at Stakem when they tweeted, Stakem wants uh, you to know that we are there for the troops. And while we were being there for the troops in Hawaii, we couldn't help but notice certain security standards seem a bit lax in the Honolulu area. Hmm. Wow, what a timely tweet that was. 
So stupid. You should always listen to a company that puts the sound it hopes to elicit in its brand name. This is a fundamental law. Stake mmm. Just ask the people at Meow Mix. Here's what Dr. Drew said in reaction to the controversy. My early comments about equating coronavirus with influenza were wrong. They were incorrect. I was part of a chorus that was saying that, and we were wrong. And I want to apologize for that. Uh, I wish I got it right, but I got it wrong. I mean, sounds like an honest response. I don't think we need to force people into making public apologies for making a mistake that, remember, 87% of Americans were making in mid-March. But, you know, whatever. If you screw up, you own it, and you move on. Good for him. I don't see all that much value in digging up comments from months ago and shaming people if they didn't understand what almost will definitely wind up being the most deadly pandemic the globe has faced in the last hundred years. There are even comments from experts at the highest levels of expertise who did not see this coming. Not everyone has the foresight of Stakem, who tweeted, It is with great sadness that we must announce we are pulling our onboard marketing campaign from the RMS Titanic. Recent studies have revealed that hull vulnerability issues, and we are just not comfortable endorsing the inaugural voyage. I Look, this is, they were right on that one as well. This is a black swan event, certainly for the economy and increasingly for human life. I think the rules should probably be a little different considering the circumstances. Sure, you can decide not to listen to someone or judge a public figure based on their performance. Totally fine. But I'd argue the main use of retroactively stupid sounding comments about uh, coronavirus, uh, if they're going to be exploited to their fullest extent, you have to have someone pulling a Nancy Pelosi. I know it's a high standard. In other words, when you try to attack someone for something you're totally guilty of yourself, Pelosi went on TV and said this. Uh, what the president, his uh, denial at the beginning uh, was deadly. Oh, it was deadly. This is only a few weeks after also going on TV and saying this. We want to be careful about how we deal with it. But we do want to say to people, come to Chinatown. Here we are. We're, again, careful, safe, and come join us. Everyone else in that video is dead, not from coronavirus. They just were sad that they had to hang out with Nancy Pelosi. Come join me for a Chinatown super safe pandemic party, everybody. You, uh, woo, you get a virus and you get a virus and you get a virus. For Dr. Drew uh, and the 87% of Americans who didn't predict every little twist and turn of the past few months perfectly, a little grace and understanding makes perfect sense. But to be perfectly clear, it doesn't make any sense for Nancy. She's just awful and lacks any ability for honesty and judgment. It reminds me of a tweet I once read, I believe, I believe it was from Stakem, who wrote, Pro tip, when tempted by the fruit of a forbidden tree, reach for Stakem's instead. Eve Megafail. I'm very excited to bring on our next guest, and he's very excited to be here because today is the big day, Arguing with Socialists, the newest book from Glenn Beck, available wherever you buy your books, even though you can't go to any of those places. You can go online and buy it. It's a great book to uh, order. Glenn, congratulations. How are you feeling about the book finally Thank hitting you? Thank the- you. Hmm? 
It's really good, Stu. I really like it, and I'm, it's an honor to be here. I just, uh, just love it. Just love it. <laughs> wow, as a, you seem really excited about it, and and I'm very excited that you're excited yeah. about it. <laughs> well, actually, uh, Glenn is uh, Glenn's in the other room. <laughs> this, uh, he just told me to sit here with my the book in front of my face, so you'd never know it wasn't him. You know, I, I assumed it wasn't Glenn because uh, you're on television in a t-shirt, so I assumed. <laughs> You know, yeah. you, didn't, you didn't exactly dress up. For yeah, the... it's been a long day, okay? It's been a freaking long day. Very long. <laughs> you, you know I do the Very shows long. with you, so I, I've been working the same period yeah. of time. You don't have, you, do, you don't have my life, Stu. You don't, <laughs> you don't know. You don't know the half of it. My life is so much tougher than your life. You are than tortured. Life. I, I know, I know. Tortured. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh. It's so terrible. the book is out. Uh, as of today, you yeah. can buy it on Am- at Amazon, glenbeck.com. You get a signed copy as well. Uh, glenbeckbooksigning.com, yeah. mm-hmm. I think, will lead you there. Um, mm-hmm. Let me start with this. I was, I was going through the book. Um, page yeah. 362. Big red font. Hang on, let me get it open. In the middle of the page. 362. Hmm. Can you count 362. that high? 362. Okay. I can't. Give me the big Three, red quote is. in the middle of the page. Infectious disease in the one is the one thing that cannot compete with the death count of socialism. But give the socialists a little time. The race isn't over yet. <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty interesting uh, setup here as we get out of COVID-19, uh, this era, hopefully mm-hmm. at some point in our lives. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, socialism is the one thing. It's probably number two behind infectious disease when it comes to global death count over the past 150 years. No, it, it is. It is. Uh, it is. In fact, I talk about the, this is weird. I didn't, I forgot that this was even in here. I didn't even remember. <laughs> uh, but it talks about the Spanish flu of 1918, uh, infected half a billion people worldwide, killed more than 675,000 Americans. The only thing that has killed more people is infectious disease. In the last 120 years, the only thing that beats socialism is infectious disease. So... I mean, I don't know if you, you put that, that on your you. campaign, uh, uh, you know, posters or not, but it it does seem like socialism is going to try to make a run here at some point soon if it can at least get uh-huh. control. Um, I'm fascinated right. by that because people don't think of it that way. Yeah, you know, yes, they they will they'll say things were bad in a couple of these places. Sure, the whole Chinese thing and the Soviet thing didn't work out all that well. <laughs> yeah, it you, didn't work out. You go through you know, Czechoslovakia Czech, or Poland or, or Poland, any of the or, other places, uh, Venezuela or Venezuela, Cuba. And you include, because <laughs> right. there's a whole, you have a whole section in here just going through all the uh, the failures of socialism. Uh, yes, Cambodia, one of my favorite Angola. Chapters. Uh-huh. Uh, it it uh-huh. is interesting uh-huh. to go through that whole list. There's a lot of them there. They all start, though, the same way. Lots and lots of hope with promise of this utopia Ooh. right down the road and yes. it doesn't turn out that way yeah yeah that, that's the problem socialism i mean that's why i have this poster behind me <laughs> lose weight fast try socialism <laughs> um it's the greatest diet plan of the 20th century uh th- most people just don't understand when it comes to socialism they don't understand that it is the united socialist uh, sorry the united soviet socialist republic mm-hmm. okay that was the USSR. That was communism, except it wasn't communism. Communism gets a bad name, but communism is the utopia part of it. What they've done is they've tried to do communism, but you never get past the shooting people in the head to get them to do exactly what you want, which is put your pie, put your money and everything into a big pile and let's all just live happily together. 
That's communism. When we're all living happily together and there is no strong arm or anything else. Well, that's the problem. We never get past the socialist part. But our education in this country and in the world is so bad that we were like, we're not communist. Of course not. I'd rather you be a communist. It's never been achieved, but I'd rather have you be a communist and say, look, it's all going to be great and wonderful. Socialism is the one that has counted all the deaths, not communism, socialism. It's interesting because you go through this, um, you know, we're going through this period here, obviously, where on the other side of this, these arguments are going to make a lot of difference. And that's why I brought up the the quote about infectious disease. This is going to be the battle. You know, what is the trade off between seeing a, uh, you know, an infectious disease that is mindless and just going to eat whatever it can, as opposed to a group of people with minds doing everything they can to crush human freedom? I mean, the battle is one that, you know, we're going to be fighting uh, really hard really soon because they're going to say these temporary measures. Well, you know what? Maybe some of these should be permanent. Yeah, they're they already they already are. Um, and it's it's the problem is it's going to happen. By the way, I've never looked so thin. Have you noticed how much late weight I've lost on the lower half of my body? Well, there? people at least when I mean, you look, look at that, that poster, it, it they might know be you're the a capitalist. I'll tell you that. Right. Right. And look, at I mean, maybe it's the plaid that makes me look so thin. I've never looked so thin. Uh, strangely, uh, only to about here. Uh, then I get fat. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, anyway. It, it uh, is an interesting look. I, I will say that. Yes, it, it is. Okay. Uh, so the the problem is is that we have all of these programs that are coming, and fear always drives us. I mean, because you can't use logic and and say, "Oh, printing money is a good thing." Nobody will buy into that. You have to you have to have some sort of uh, overwhelming fear. Uh, that's why we talk about in the book, and I've, it's on our chalkboard in the radio studio. Yeah. In fact, we should go over that tomorrow, Stu. Mm. Um, the six things that I said were going to happen, and the last two uh, is uh, uh, war uh, or, um, and then catas- or catastrophe, war, and uh, new change. A new enlightened era comes about. Mm. Well, we're there. We're just doing it that so far without the war, what's happening to us is COVID is covering the tracks of socialists and they are changing the fundamental structure of our society. We're going to come back out of the other side of this if we're not careful saying what happened to our country? What happened? Yeah, I mean, and and the book is not all filled with, um, you know, the uh, depressing things I've, I've asked you to talk about here at the beginning. Um, there's really a, there's an interesting piece of hope in there that I found, at least, because um, I get a little bit, and you may know this from doing the show with me, I get a little bit defeatist at times, um, thinking that mm-hmm. there's this constant uh, march towards bigger government, towards these things going away everywhere in the world. And it, what, I don't know where I don't know where you found hope because that's a mistake. I did not mean. Where is that? Because I did not mean to put that in here. <laughs> so, so they printed a mistaken chapter here. Because, There's a mistake in here. Where? Well, we where talk about socialism in the Scandinavian countries, right? And Bernie yes, Sanders yes. Uh, loves loves his socialism in Sweden and all these places. And you point out that at one point that argument actually was true. I mean, it, but they have looked at this and they have said. Okay, we tried the socialism thing. Now we're going the opposite way, and this is when they're seeing all their improvement. 
So here, here it is. It's on page 182. Uh, our economy was in crisis. This is uh, according to the Scandinavian or, or Sweden, some Yahoo, yo, yo, whatever, yeah. Norberg. He said, uh, <laughs> our, our, our economy was in crisis. Inflation reached 10%. And for a brief period, interest rates soared to 500%. At that point, the Swedish population said, enough. We just can't do this. So... This is when they got out of socialism. Most people don't know this. When ABBA was around, they were socialist. Then they stopped because mm. it was a massive failure. And they thought, well, we could kill all the people or we could just stop doing it. And they were ones that decided to stop doing it. Uh, and they're not a socialist country anymore. And that is the one thing that I think can give us hope. The problem is... Uh, you know, with 20, what is it now? $27 trillion in debt. I mean, how do you stop that train? Yeah, I know. It's going to be really difficult. Uh, and I will say the page before at 180 and 181, you have just some highlights oh, yeah. from the, the the Freedom Index, where all these countries yeah. are ahead of the United States when it comes to economic freedom yeah, now. The, the, this is the craziest thing. On that page, it has a whole bunch of things that talk about, you know, taxes, et cetera, et cetera. Everything that the socialists here say that we need to do to be more like Sweden is the exact opposite direction of what Sweden is. Sweden has fewer regulations on their companies. They have made it easier to be a small business person. Uh, they have lower taxes in, what, three out of the five uh, Swedish or Scandinavian countries. I mean, everything they do uh, makes them a much more free and capitalist nation than we are. Let me put you in a more comfortable position where you can be uh, apocalyptic about uh, our future. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Good, good, good. What page? uh, I'm going to go to page, let's see, flipping through uh, 234. And I think this relates directly to what is happening to us right now. Um, we have Oof. a situation where we see South Korea uh, and Hong Kong and Shanghai um, uh, used uh, as examples, or excuse me, Singapore, used as examples of the right way to deal with COVID-19. These are the places that did it right. And what they did was massive pri- uh, privacy violations, which, which they you know, uh, mm-hmm. used technology to monitor people incredibly closely. Um, and, yeah. and it's a combination of what we're trying to do now, which is spend, 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 spend trillions of dollars and print money in, in a way that never has before been tried. Combining those two things together, is that our future? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Let me quote. Let me quote from this page. The party seeks power entirely for its own sake. We're not interested in the good of others. We're interested solely in power. Pure power. What pure power means, you will understand soon. We're different from the oligarchies of the past in that we know what we're doing. That's George Orwell from 1984. Mm. In this, we talk about how there is a technological growth here that we've already given too much power to. And if the government decides to grow... Uh, it will uh, it will get out of control quickly and we can become China quickly to prove this tomorrow on my television show at 9 p.m. We're doing a show uh, called Arguing with Chinese Socialists. 
and we're showing the video of what kind of what you did a little bit yesterday, showing the video of what they were doing and what we're doing. And they're all the things that when they were doing it, we were all like, oh, wow, that's spooky. Glad we don't do that. <laughs> and now we're doing it and no one's saying anything. That stuff is not going away. It's not. Yeah. Modern monetary theory uh, and technology Oof. together makes socialism more dangerous than ever. It's just one of the chapters uh, in the book. And it's a great book. And it's very easy to pick up kind of wherever you want. You're going to have little bookmarks and it's post-its all over this thing by the time you get through it. And these arguments are more important than ever. Uh, Glenn Beck, Arguing with Socialists. It's available now Thank wherever you, you buy or download uh, books. Uh, and uh, make sure you uh, go check it out. Also, glennbeckbooksigning.com will get you to the signed copies if you'd like that. Glenn, thanks for coming on the show. Yep. Thank right. you. If you would like to give uh, Glenn a little bit more of your money, I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't, uh, get a deal uh, with uh, the Blaze TV uh, subscription that's going on now. It's the biggest subscription savings we ever had. Go to blazetv.com slash stew and make sure to use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. And I'm going to take 30 bucks off your price because that's what I do. I go in and I actually lower each individual subscription bill myself. Not too shabby. Back in a second. You're not allowed to go outside, you know, not allowed to go to the grocery store, not allowed to go to the bank, not allowed to do anything anymore. Got nothing you can do. It's nothing important enough for you to walk out of the house and do anymore. I hope you're OK with that life. By the way, if you happen to be in Wisconsin, got to go out and vote. It's important. Look at this footage from uh, from Wisconsin. They actually had a primary today. The line uh, pretty freaking long is the way I would describe it. Um, it goes on and 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 on. And you saw this like this is different than probably every other line we've ever seen just because it's a social distancing line. So it's basically six feet in between each person. And it's kind of hysterical that like you can make lines look really long when you get six feet. I mean, you could imagine how long you can make the lines look for when you're opening up. You got a concert going on. Your line can go all the way down the street. Even if you only have like 100 people, it's wonderful. Uh, it's, uh, it's kind of fascinating as we go through this, the, you know, the, the, the idea that people are going to pick Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders in the middle of this in one state is just amazing. It's another example of bizarre incompetence uh, on the part of the state government uh, there. Um, and speaking of Joe Biden, we have a celebrity endorser who wanted to make sure she came out and let you know that she was still endorsing Joe Biden despite the fact that he was accused of sexual assault. Let's hear the explanation from Alyssa Milano. I have not publicly said anything about this. Um, if you remember, it kind of took me a long time to publicly say anything about, about Harvey as well. Okay. Because I believe that um, even though we should believe women, and that is an important thing, and what that statement really means is like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for so long, the the go-to has been not to believe them. So really we have to sort of societally change that mindset to believing women, but that does not mean at the expense of not, um, you know, giving men their due process and and investigating situations. I like um, that. I like that. And giving, you know, it's got to be, it's got to be, it's got to be fair in, in both directions. I like that. I like that. 
What an amazing new concept we have discovered here. Giving men due process when accused? That's an interesting time to roll that one out right in the middle of your presidential uh, endorsement where you've endorsed Biden and now he's been accused. Now, you didn't hold that standard for Brett Kavanaugh. I noticed that. You didn't hold that standard for Roy Moore or any other Republican who's ever been accused of these things, whether they did it or not. The standard was always believe all women. And I love, I love the excuse there um, when she tries to explain why it's okay for her to now be on the side of due process. And her excuse is, well, I've, I've always been on the side of due process. If you remember, I, gave, I took a long time before I said anything about Harvey Weinstein. You mean the gigantic Democratic donor? The, the incredibly powerful man in the industry you work? You waited on him and you're using that as a point in your favor? Guess what? Uh, due process has always been cool to me. It's always been cool to conservatives. What you're arguing for here, uh, Alyssa, is the conservative position. There's no conservatives arguing that women should not be heard. There's no conservatives arguing that women should not be taken seriously. That is the standard. Women should be taken seriously. Yes, there have been times. Yes, there have been situations where women tried to bring their legitimate complaints and they were blown off by the system or God knows what else. Completely wrong in every way. That is not what conservatives are arguing now. And I have not heard a conservative ever argue that, honestly, but I'm sure it's happened in the distant past. The, the, the situation here is women, every time they bring up a, a, an accusation, should be taken seriously. Uh, and then, you know, the guy's rights should kick in, too. And he should have some due process. Um, one person who seemed to understand that, you might have heard him on the clip saying, I like that. I like that. That's Andy Cohen of Bravo fame. Andy Cohen was accused of sexual harassment in 2017. Um, now, he was in a feud with Kathy Griffin at the time, and I guess she released some letter from 30 years ago. God only knows if any of it was true. The point being, however, um, that Andy Cohen deserved uh, due process. If there was a real, if there were a bunch of facts there, well, that should have been, you know, checked out. But that that is not the standard. And we keep looking at this. There's two standards here. And we need to maybe we need to do a monologue on this this week. I I still want to do a coronavirus free show this week. Maybe Friday. the The issue here is there's two standards being presented. The standard of Brett Kavanaugh, where every single person who accuses someone gets the benefit of the doubt, and the accused gets thrown in the trash and their life ruined. Or on the other side, you have the Joe Biden standard where the Democratic media completely ignores the accusation. I don't know if either standard is exactly right, but I will say the right standard is a lot closer to the Biden standard that Alyssa Milano is currently embracing. Hopefully she continues that. Uh, we'll see going forward here in the next few months. Back in a second. So the media continues to seemingly root against the success of things like hydroxychloroquine uh, so they can prove that Trump said bad things at his press conferences. Not sure exactly why that's acceptable, but you know, here we are. Joining me to break it down is Michael Malice. He's the host of the podcast You're Welcome. And his latest book is The New Right, A Journey to the Fringe of American Politics. Uh, Michael, let me talk about a distinction we've, we've discussed before, but I think it's important for, for the audience to understand it. You tweeted after seeing some of this crazy stuff on on the uh, on the press conferences that the 
corporate press is the enemy of the people, not the not the press, uh, not the media um, and not the mainstream media. You use corporate media. Why? So there's two big reasons here. First of all, to regard them as mainstream is simply untrue. Their views are grossly at variance with the mainstream of America, and it gives them a sense of validity that they desperately want to have and pretend as if they do in fact have. The second big reason is there are many people on the left who are increasingly understanding uh, what I refer to as well as the depravity and malfeasance of the corporate press, the endless calls for wars, uh, the fact that they will take someone's child and destroy their lives just for the sake of maintaining their hold on power. So leftists have historically had a very strong skepticism of corporate America and corporations in general. Uh, And by invoking that phrase in that way, it invites them to kind of join the fight against the enemy of the people. I, uh, I I printed out one of your tweets because I, I thought it was such an interesting question. And I was I'm almost depressed at the fact that I can't fight with you on this all that much. I, I would like to be able to tell you your, the point you're trying to make here is untrue, but I don't know that I can. Here's what you tweeted. You said, "If here's the poll. If you could wave a magic wand that would cure coronavirus, but would guarantee Trump would get reelected to two more terms through 2029, would you wave it? There are a lot of people in the media who would take that, uh, I think, the magic wand and put it in their glove compartment and never take it out again. Yeah, well, I was born in the Soviet Union, as you know, and my previous book was about North Korea, which we have discussed. And uh, there's a a good thing and a bad thing about American benevolence. And Americans are the kindest, hardest people in the world. They care. They're friendly. Maybe not so much in urban areas, you know, like my native New York, but in certain other places. But there's a side effect with that. And that's a naivete. And I think a lot of Americans don't appreciate the nature of evil and they don't appreciate how much those who dislike them do not value their lives. And if the choice is being given between, you know, saving the lives of Americans who they dislike and maintaining their hold on power, most members of this uh, elite establishment would absolutely choose the second one. And we can see proof of this. Uh, how blithely we, the Nicholas Sandman, how blithely uh, CNN still saying, hey, you made a gift. We reserve the right to sue you, you know, and ruin your life just for making a gift with us and our logo and President Trump. So at no point, uh, and they're constant drumbeats for war as well, at no point is there any evidence, let alone proof, that they genuinely and sincerely care about, you know, people who disagree with them and are standing in their way uh, in their control of culture. You know, and this is um, some of that stuff is just really, you know, terrible coverage. Some of it is, you know, beating up on people that, that, that don't deserve it. When you watch Trump do these press conferences every day and he talks uh, with hope about something like hydroxychloroquine or many of these other medications, they're doing like 70 different trials on, on different things. He does sure. come up with a hopeful attitude, but he's always qualifying it with, look, you know, sure. the doctors are you need to go through this. They need to do the testing. But, hey, if it's a last resort, why not try it? Um, and the coverage of that on a drug that there are there is some hope for for some people. Seemingly, it almost prioritizes sure. the idea that they'd rather have Trump be wrong than have this medication work. And it's really difficult to deny it when you're watching the coverage. And I, I want to deny it, frankly, Michael. I don't want to believe that people are out there rooting against saving lives, but it's hard to it's hard to understand. Stu, you cover politics every single day and even you 
have a shorter term memory than you realize. <laughs> Our previous president, Barack Obama, became prominent for a book called The Audacity of Hope. Mm -hmm. The Shepherd Fairy poster of Obama, Hope was the mantra. Yes, we can was his slogan. For eight years, we were told how important hope and optimism is against our uh, problems. Now that the president and any president who is showing resolve in an unprecedented uh, 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 situation that we're in, that he is showing hope, he's being criticized for this. This is how it was characterized yesterday on Twitter. It said, Trump touts uh, Trump begins stockpiling uh, that the medicine, I forgot the name, a comma, which has not yet been approved by the FDA. So would they prefer to wait until the <laughs> FDA clears this and then you start the factories? Here's the other situation. God forbid the president had said in February, in March, this is going to be a nightmare. We are going to be doing things we've never even thought we'd have to do four months ago. Uh, Boris Johnson and major world leaders are, and the Queen Elizabeth are going to be in major trouble. Everyone would be attacking him fairly for instilling panic in the population because we all know whenever things go bad, it's the panic that's often makes things magnified and exponentially worse. And the fact that he and any all the leaders, governors from state to you know, are saying they're like, we got we're in we're on top of this. Here's the news. Here's the information. The fact that they're still criticizing for this just speaks to the insistence they have on maintaining their message at all costs, despite the reality of the situation. And that is the difference between a bias and an agenda. Governor Cuomo of New York, Gavin Newsom, governor of California, both hardcore lefties. Uh, Conte, who's the prime minister of Italy, who's there with the support of the Social Democrats, they've all spoken out positively about President Trump, which does not benefit them in any way because they're executives. They're in a position where they have to get things done, whereas the media, who's there to destroy and has does not have the accountability, is perfectly happening, happy to maintain their greatest hits. Let me um, take a step back from the media for a second, um, because I... I look at this and it's, you know, look, we have a, this, it's, a, it's a terrible situation we're looking at. And it's a, a lot of ugly stuff going on. Um, and, you know, I, I understand what we're doing here. I mean, like, I, I, you know, we want to save as many lives as we can. I think that's what Trump's motivation is. I mean, there's nobody in the world who wants to have an economy open more than Donald Trump. The last thing in the world he wants to do is close the economy for six weeks in the middle of an election year. That is not on the priority list of Donald Trump. And he's doing this, I think, because he wants to save lives. Let me ask you a two-part question here. One, how how would you rate sure. his performance so far in handling this, which is an impossible situation, I think, for a president to handle? And two, how worried are you that these things that are going on now, which might be necessary in the temporary sense, wind up becoming, many of them, permanent? Uh, I'm going to say something that might be a little heretical on the show, and I apologize in advance. I don't think a President Obama or a President Hillary or a President George W. Bush would be that different because presidents aren't doctors. Uh, the, and look at Governor Cuomo from New York. You know, if, mm -hmm. what happens is they get information. They're like, all right, how do we mitigate the damage? How do we get as many people cured as possible? These are not ideological positions. This has nothing to do with your role in the minimum wage, the estate tax or abortion. It's like, how do we get this to stop with the minimum pain in the short term and the quickest comeback in the long term? So in terms of rating, I don't I think everyone would get, in my opinion, uh, an A. 
because they they all have families and they all care about their families. Um, in terms of uh, what was the second part of pressure? I'm sorry. The second part is like we have a lot of these big major steps that we would never accept in any other situation. Um, you know, sure, staying at home. Sure. Are you worried? Obviously, I don't think they're going to make us stay at home forever. But there is a lot here, a lot of spending, a lot of new projects, a lot of all sorts of things, restrictions. I mean, there's a lot that's been built into the last month or so uh, that is, is a power grab. And people who like power will try to hold on to it if they can. Yeah, here's my other big concern. I saw a doctor, I think, from New York uh, tweet this out, that his concern is that this virus is going to winter in the South America, uh, Southern Hemisphere, and then come back in the fall. And if you look at how these things work, that is not at all an implausible situation. My biggest concern, and I agree with you, the power grabs, and I agree with you about this you know, huge spending, but my concern is I do not see a transition between how we are now and back to a sort of normalcy. Because at a certain point, the question we're going to have to be asking, and it's very disturbing to even verbalize this, is how much of a risk are we willing to take in order to reopen the economy. And that is a question everyone's gonna have to answer who's you know, in that position of power. And that when you're talking about that risk, you are literally talking about saying, well, some people are gonna have to die. So in the fact that you know, these, uh, we can have some kind of food on our, our table. So it's a very, very dark question for people to have to answer regardless of their political party. Yeah, it really is. Um, let me ask you one more, I'll try to end it on a more ridiculous note if we can. Uh, Eric Erickson, the conservative uh, commentator, uh, he is uh, he, he's trying to honor the workers, the health workers in his area. If kids around his neighborhood are, are building crosses, they build a cross and they're, I guess, yes. selling them to raise money for these people. Um, he has he puts some lighting on it and then gets blasted by Newsweek magazine for having a burning cross on his front yard. You cannot make this stuff up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was shaking my head, not at Eric, but at what you were saying. Mm -hmm. I saw that article. And first of all, what people need to understand is the Klan didn't burn crosses on their own lawn. <laughs> they burned them as a terrorist threat <laughs> to minorities to get them to be afraid. That's a great That's point. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is it is really depraved that you would accuse someone of th this most outrageous thing of being some kind of having some kind of clan symbol and have no accountability for it, for it whatsoever whereas you know if there's any there will run interference for how 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 credulously are they repeating Chinese propaganda now? Mm. We saw just today, it was NBC News saying, well, we had a lot of deaths yesterday, but China reported none. Yeah, cool story. Like it's it's so <laughs> Uh, my thoughts were with Eric. I, 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 and thankfully, thanks to social media, and I thank God for it every day. They're being called out instantly on their crap, and that tweet. And it's like we're we're in a pandemic. We can't leave our house, and you're still concerned with finding imaginary racists and white supremacists, and their inability to change their tune is a huge Achilles heel, heel and a huge advantage of those who are on the side of truth and freedom. Mm. Well, we'll have to see if it uh, for, forevermore he'll be Eric Erickson, who once burned a cross on his front yard. As you always point out, right. that will become a qualifying statement for Eric. Uh, Michael Malice, you're always welcome to come back on and be uh, her heretical at any time. Uh, we're always welcome. Uh, you're always welcome to come back on. Uh, you're welcome is the name of the podcast. The book is The New Right. Uh, Michael Malice, thanks for being on the program. Thanks so much, Stu. Always a pleasure. All right. Back in a second.
sometimes we don't have enough time to read. There's no excuse like that now. Arguing with Socialists is out now. Go order it, glenbeck.com or amazon.com.